The Volstead Act. This act was conceived and introduced by Wayne Wheeler, a leader of the Anti-Saloon League, a group which found alcohol responsible for almost all of society's problems and which also ran many campaigns against the sale of alcohol. The law was also heavily supported by then-Judiciary Chairman Andrew Volstead from Minnesota, and was named in his honor. The act in its written form laid the groundwork of prohibition, defining the procedures for banning the distribution of alcohol including their production and distribution. Volstead had once before introduced an early version of the law to Congress. It was first brought to the floor on May 27, 1919, where it met heavy resistance from Democratic senators. Instead, the so-called wet law was introduced, an attempt to end the wartime prohibition laws put into effect much earlier. The debate over prohibition would rage for that entire session, as the House was divided among what would become known as the bone dries and the wets. Because Republicans held the majority of the House of Representatives, the Volstead Act finally passed on July 22, 1919, with 287 in favor and 100 opposed. However, the act was largely a failure, proving unable to prevent mass distribution of alcoholic beverages and also inadvertently causing a massive increase in organized crime. The act would go on to define the terms and enforcement methods of prohibition, until the passing of the 21st Amendment in 1933 effectively repealed it. Controversies the proposed amendment was the first to contain a provision setting a deadline for its ratification. That clause of the amendment was challenged, with the case reaching the U.S. Supreme Court. It upheld the constitutionality of such a deadline in Dillon v. Gloss, 1921. The Supreme Court also upheld the ratification by the Ohio legislature in Hawk v. Smith, 1920, despite a petition requiring that the matter go to ballot. This was not the only controversy around the amendment. The phrase intoxicating liquor would not logically have included beer and wine, as they are not distilled, and their inclusion in the prohibition came as a surprise to the general public, as well as wine and beer makers. This controversy caused many northern states to not abide by the amendment, which caused some problems. The brewers were probably not the only Americans to be surprised at the severity of the regime thus created. Voters who considered their own drinking habits blameless, but who supported prohibition to discipline others, also received a rude shock. That shock came with the realization that federal prohibition went much further in the direction of banning personal consumption than all local prohibition ordinances and many state prohibition statutes. National prohibition turned out to be quite a different beast than its local and state cousins. Under prohibition, illegal importation and production of alcoholic beverages, rum running, bootlegging, occurred on a large scale across the United States. In urban areas, where the majority of the population opposed prohibition, Enforcement was generally much weaker than in rural areas and smaller towns. Perhaps the most dramatic consequence of prohibition was the effect it had on organized crime in the United States, as the production and sale of alcohol went further underground, it began to be controlled by the mafia and other gangs, who transformed themselves into sophisticated criminal enterprises that reaped huge profits from the illicit liquor trade. The mafia became skilled at bribing police and politicians to look the other way during the 1920s. Chicago's Al Capone emerged as the most notorious example of this phenomenon, earning an estimated $60 million annually from his bootlegging and speakeasy operations. Gambling and prostitution also reached new heights, and a growing number of Americans came to blame prohibition, despite the legislation's original intent, and to condemn it as a dangerous infringement of individual freedom. Daniel Okren identifies the powerful political coalition that worked successfully in the two decades leading to ratification of the 18th Amendment. Five distinct, if occasionally overlapping, components made up this unspoken coalition, racists, progressives, suffragists, populists, whose ranks included a small socialist auxiliary, and nativists. Adherents of each group may have been opposed to alcohol for its own sake, but they advanced ideologies and causes that had little to do with it.
calls for repeal. If public sentiment had turned against prohibition by the late 1920s, the Great Depression only hastened its demise, as some argued that the ban on alcohol denied jobs to the unemployed and much-needed revenue to the government. The efforts of the Nonpartisan Association Against the Prohibition Amendment, AAPA, added to public disillusionment. In 1932, the platform of Democratic presidential candidate Franklin D. Roosevelt included a plank for repealing the 18th Amendment, and his victory that November marked a certain end to prohibition. In February 1933, Congress adopted a resolution proposing the 21st Amendment, which repealed the 18th Amendment and modified the Volstead Act to permit the sale of beer. The resolution required state conventions, rather than the state legislatures, to approve the amendment, effectively reducing the process to a one-state, one-vote referendum rather than a popular vote. A few states continued statewide prohibition after 1933, but by 1966 they all had abandoned it. Impact. Just after the 18th Amendment's adoption, there was a significant reduction in alcohol consumption among the general public and particularly among low-income groups. There were fewer hospitalizations for alcoholism and likewise fewer liver-related medical problems. However, consumption soon climbed as underworld entrepreneurs began producing rotgut alcohol which was full of dangerous diseases. With the rise of home distilled alcohol, careless distilling led to the deaths of many citizens. During the ban upwards of 10,000 deaths can be attributed to wood alcohol, methanol, poisoning. Ultimately, though, during prohibition use and abuse of alcohol remained significantly lower than before it started. Though there were significant increases in crimes involved in the production and distribution of illegal alcohol, there was an initial reduction in overall crime, mainly in types of crimes associated with the effects of alcohol consumption such as public drunkenness. Those who continued to use alcohol, tended to turn to organized criminal syndicates. Law enforcement wasn't strong enough to stop all liquor traffic, however, they used sting operations, such as Prohibition agent Elliot Ness famously using wiretapping to discern secret locations of breweries. The prisons became crowded which led to fewer arrests for the distribution of alcohol, as well as those arrested being charged with small fines rather than prison time. The murder rate fell for two years, but then rose to record highs because this market became extremely attractive to criminal organizations, a trend that reversed the very year Prohibition ended. The homicide rate increased from 6 per 100,000 population in the pre-Prohibition period to nearly 10. Overall, crime rose 24%, including increases in assault and battery, theft, and burglary. Anti-Prohibition groups were formed and worked to have the 18th Amendment repealed, which was done by adoption of the 21st Amendment on December 5, 1933. Bootlegging and organized crime. Following ratification in 1919, the amendment's effects were long-lasting, leading to increases in crime in many large cities in the United States, like Chicago, New York, and Los Angeles. Along with this came many separate forms of illegal alcohol distribution. Examples of this include speakeasies and bootlegging, as well as illegal distilling operations. Bootlegging got its start in towns bordering Mexico and Canada, as well as in areas with several ports and harbors, a favorite distribution area being Atlantic City, New Jersey. The alcohol was often supplied from various foreign distributors, like Cuba and the Bahamas, or even Newfoundland and islands under rule by the French. The government in response employed the Coast Guard to search and detain any ships transporting alcohol into the ports, but with this came several complications such as disputes over where jurisdiction lay on the water. This was what made Atlantic City such a hot spot for smuggling operations, because of a shipping point nearly three miles offshore that U.S. officials could not investigate, further complicating enforcement of the amendment. What made matters even worse for the Coast Guard was that they were not well equipped enough to chase down bootlegging vessels. The Coast Guard, however, was able to respond to these issues, and began searching vessels out at sea, 
instead of when they made port, and upgraded their own vehicles allowing for more efficient and consistent arrests. But even with those advancements in enforcing the amendment, there were still complications that plagued the government's efforts. One issue came in the form of forged prescriptions for alcoholic beverages. Many forms of alcohol were being sold over the counter at the time, under the guise of being for medical purposes. But in truth, these beverages had falsified the evidence that they were medically fit to be sold to consumers. Bootlegging itself was the leading factor that developed the organized crime rings in big cities, given that controlling and distributing liquor was very difficult. From that arose many profitable gangs that would control every aspect of the distribution process, whether it be concealed brewing and storage, operating a speakeasy, or selling in restaurants and nightclubs run by a specific syndicate. With organized crime becoming a rising problem in the United States, control of specific territories was a key objective among gangs, leading to many violent confrontations. As a result, murder rates and burglaries heavily increased between 1920 and 1933. Bootlegging was also found to be a gateway crime for many gangs, who would then expand operations into crimes such as prostitution, gambling rackets, narcotics, loan sharking, extortion and labor rackets, thus causing problems to persist long after the amendment was repealed. The text of this podcast is sourced from the Wikipedia Foundation under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The written text has been altered for voice presentation. To view the modified and original text versions visit thelegalpages.com. The content of this podcast is presented for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be legal or professional advice. The Wikipedia Foundation is not affiliated with this podcast.